This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 8 of Analyzing Anfield. I am your host Christian Walsh and with me as always is Josh Williams. This is your podcast for all the tactics and all the statistics that you might need about the mighty Redmen. We're uh, we're coming out of a fantastic afternoon against Chelsea. It was a great day for Liverpool, Josh. As routine as a top six game could possibly be, perhaps? Uh, Possibly, yeah. It was a good performance. Um... It went roughly how I expected, but you know I was I was you know pretty happy with our performance. We couldn't couldn't have really expected much more. I think we dominated for large periods, forced Chelsea to act like a very inferior team, and uh, yeah, we got the win. There's something about a two nil scoreline. I, I I just want to talk about them. I don't know what it is about two nils, but it just to me feels like the ultimate sign of a job well done because you know if it's 1-0 it's a little bit too close for comfort if it's 3-0 then maybe it's a little bit easier than it should have been obviously if there's a 1 um, the opposition score then it's not you know the perfect defensive performance either so you know a Liverpool 2 Chelsea nil, you know it, it's a nice scoreline it's not a scoreline that Klopp gets too often at Liverpool funnily enough even though he has brought in this control a little bit more this season um, 2-0 hasn't been around very often but that's now 2 Two nil victories uh, on the spin for Liverpool. The, the first consecutive two nil win since November 2016. Which fact fans, if you're not knowing at the moment, it's Sunderland at home and Leeds at home in the League Cup. Uh, the one where Woodburn scored as his uh, goal as a I think he was probably about ten at that point. Um, so Josh, just obviously we're going to talk about Chelsea more than than anything today, but just reflected on both Porto and Chelsea. We spoke about Porto in the in, in the previous episode, but it was a very similar performance, you know, statistical-wise. 60% possession in both. Two goals first half against Porto, two goals second half against Chelsea. It's just the sign of a team that's coming into the right sort of form and the right type of form at the right time, isn't it? Yeah, we've reached at a, a level of maturity, which is, uh, you know, I, I haven't seen for a long time, perhaps under Rafa. In, mm. at the end of his tenure but other than that I haven't personally seen as a Liverpool fan um, it, you know because we've been working with the same base of players for a number of years now I think it's it's three under clock now is it yes three under clock three and a half and a lot of them have been there since the start um, we don't seem to have a you know a vast amounts of reinforcements brought in every summer and, and, and things like that so once you're ingrained in a system over and over and over again, you know, it becomes second nature to you. And I think we're now at a point now whereby it is natural for all of our players, and that's including the likes of Fabinho, who, you know, took a while to to get ingrained in the system. We didn't really see much up until, say, October, November period. And yet the, the, the team just looks very mature. Uh, the 60% possession, you, you've got to... Understand as well that that's that's not possession in a city sense or in a Chelsea sense either. This isn't sideways passing. This isn't. We very much want to um, maintain our identity. And, and Pep Linder says that for a fair bit. Our identity under Klopp is obviously intense, chaotic, but you can be chaotic with possession. And I think that's what we do. I think we form such a good structure and we're so hungry without the ball that we constantly, constantly, constantly try things, play very direct with the ball, but because we're so hungry with it, we then regain it and start again. 
but starts again very quickly. There's no long periods of circulation. So although we've got 60% possession there, we still managed to play our direct game. We still managed to take risks. It still looks a bit chaotic, even though it's probably not. But it's more a case of organised chaos, really. Uh, and yet we'll just, we'll just reach a level that we haven't previously been at on the club. Well, just to throw that, what you say there, just it, it bears out, really. I had a look at the average passes in the terms of the final third and progressive passes over the course of the season. You know, Liverpool, in the past two games, above average in terms of passes into the final third, above average for progressive passes as well. Um, the only time Liverpool have bettered these numbers since the start of February was against Fulham. Um, but this wasn't Fulham. This was, you know, the Portuguese champions and, and top four contenders. And, you know, say what you like about Chelsea. Yes, they got turned over massively at, uh, against Manchester City 6-0. But this was also the Chelsea that took City to a 0-0 over 120 minutes in the League Cup final. Uh, City, uh, Chelsea, who, albeit, I know they had a bit of an aberration against the Everton, but after that 6-0 drubbing back in February, it very much sort of opened their eyes and, and sort of, shook Miritio Sari from his, his, his tactical shackles, I suppose, and he sort of maybe wasn't quite as um, stubborn as as he has been throughout his uh, throughout his time at Stamford Bridge. So, you know, for, for Liverpool to be posting those sorts of numbers, the passing is the final fair more often, more progressive passes than usual. And this is against, you know, high-quality opposition. See what, what you want about Porto and Chelsea, but these are in the upper echelons of, of European football, relatively, aren't they? Yeah, well, and that, that possession thing as well, I've just looked into uh, Chelsea's possession numbers for the whole course of the season. And the way you've just mentioned about Sally becoming a bit less stubborn, a bit more pragmatic kind of thing. We spoke about that last week and I, I wrote a bit about that in my, my tactical preview during the week. That was what we saw. He played uh, Higuain on the bench as, had, as a centre-forward, not a false nine. That's commonly misunderstood. <laughs> a false nine... It's Roberto Firmino, a player that vacates that position, drops off, other people run into that space. Hazard was very much a centre-forward, occupying the last line of defence, running in behind, things like that. Um, they also relinquish possession, obviously, which is what I've just mentioned, sorry. Um, this is the lowest that they've had all season, apart from versus City, um, when they when won 2 nil. funnily enough, at Stamford Bridge. Mm. So they, they had 39.4 against us on the weekend. And as I said, that's only been lowered once. So, you know, it was a very different Chelsea and you can, you can tell the level of respect there, I think, from, from Sarri's part. Um, so it, it's very, very, very promising going forward. I must admit, first half, and this is, you know, from, from my seat in, in the uh, centenary, Kenny Dalglish, Kemlin, whatever you want to call that nowadays, um, I was slightly worried about Chelsea um, in the first half. I, you know, looking at the, the drilling down the numbers, uh, you know, the XG was pretty much even in that first 45. One shot on target apiece. And Chelsea seems to be picking up those little spaces a little bit like Southampton did, Willian in particular. Uh, as you say, Hazard as well, in a central position. Both seems to be getting sort of beyond Liverpool's midfield. Um, but it, it, it wasn't sort of, it, was, it still didn't feel as open against Southampton. It, it interested me because... You know, we, we spoke about the midfield balance and if you play Robertson on one side and Trent on the other, two attacking fullbacks, what do you do with the midfield? Um, you know, there's Naby Keita who, you know, is good going back. He He's still obviously learning that side of his game still, but he was brought into Anfield 
because he can go both forward and back. Um, you've got Fabinho, who isn't necessarily the most mobile, but he's still, for me, a fantastic player in that number six role. And now it seems a bit like a straight shootout between Henderson and Wijnaldum for that third spot. Does Henderson give that midfield a little bit more balance than Wijnaldum? Uh, and I'll caveat this with the fact that I know we've spoken about Wijnaldum quite a bit already on this podcast, and it probably sounds like we don't rate him. Personally, I do. Um, but does having Henderson there who can do a little bit of both and is starting to produce numbers in the opposition box just give that midfield that balance that they needed for the past couple of months maybe? Yeah, I think Henderson provides more balance in an overall sense. So considering both attack and defence, um, supporting the attackers and supporting the defenders, I think Wijnaldum is more cautious, mm. uh, more safe, more accurate, which is useful depending on the opponent. Say, for example, we want Trent to really advance. You'll maybe play Wijnaldum because he'll cover him better. He's pretty much right back at times, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can't imagine Henderson filling in as a right back as um, as willingly. Although he would do it, I'm not mm. denying that, but... I think it's, it comes more natural for Henderson to impact the play in the opposition half. And that's that's the difference for me. You've got two useful players there who can fulfill different needs. But Henderson, for me, is considerably more useful than Wijnaldum in the opposition half just because of his... I, I said the other week, he's a, he's a force when he's running like that. When he's able to... When he's let off the lead, he's a force um, with and without the ball because he, he can make... Driving midfield runs in in almost in the mold of like a Aaron Ramsey, Frank Lampard type, which can it, it can it can disorganise defences, it can cause problems. And I think Klopp said after the game that we wanted Henderson in this match in kind of like a number ten space or something like that, which you'd never you'd never imagine that for Jordan Henderson. And your typical number ten certainly isn't Jordan Henderson. He's probably more in the mold of. And you've got to understand where I'm coming from when I say this. He's probably more in the mould of a number 10 at Maraban Fellaini kind mm. of way. Simply because, not because he's, you know, he's awkward or anything like that, but because he's he's interfering with the play with his presence and with his physicality and with his, not necessarily with his, um, his technical play mm. or his vision. Um, and it, it does unsettle opponents. Henderson seems to do it quite well. And obviously when the ball is lost in the opposition half, he's he's hounding you, he doesn't give you the second on the ball. Super aggressive. Um so yeah, there's definitely uses for the pair of them. And as always, it's it's that the old horses for courses mm. thing. It's it's just a case of adjusting where you need it uh, relative to the opponent. You mentioned there about Henderson, you know, and his presence. I know you're saying he's not like a Fellaini, but more like maybe a Ramsey or a Lampard, but I suppose there's a there's a hybrid there because you look at Liverpool's two goals. The first one, he's almost got that physicality which sees the ball come to him in the box because Salah sort of goes down and he's there to mop up. It's almost like he's doing what he's been doing in that number six role. But now he's doing it in the opposition box and there he is with the ball at his feet on the byline to ping it back to Mane to score. And the second goal of Salah, unbelievable strike, you know, 95% Salah. Um, but Henderson's run moves Loftus-Cheek out of the way which allows Mo Salah to be one-on-one with Emerson Palmieri, who obviously then cuts inside on his right, on his left foot and unleashes that absolutely fantastic shot. So, you know, it's those hidden things that he's doing. Um, yeah, the, these players, 
there's, there's a couple like Henderson that just come to mind. You, you think of Ramirez mm. at Chelsea. Uh, I watched Monday Night Football yesterday. Gary Neville compared him to Essien in his day. Uh, I mean, that's high praise. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, mit, mit Sweetie for France. Just them players that do not stop provide a force and as a result of them not stopping, they just result in disorganisation from an opposition perspective and they, they're definitely useful and uh, it's it's really good to see Henderson being used in this way because although I have, I have never previously had much of a problem with him playing as the six because depending on the opponents it, it can work. I do think he's he's much more influential in this sense. Just throw this one out there, just really, you know, just as we were talking there, is is Henderson's re-emergence or emergence, whatever you want to call it, is this this number ten, number eight, whatever he is now at the moment? Is this sort of helping Suarez? Um, Suarez, I've got Barcelona on my mind. Is that <laughs> is it helping Salah? Is it is, is you know is it? Is it that he's finding more space now? Is it uh, uh, the decoy runs which are giving Salah that, that little bit of an extra opportunity? A bit like how Oxley Chamberlain used to do? Yeah, I was just going to mention Ox there uh, because Salah seems to hit form when playing with Ox. Seems to like playing with him. And it's because Ox can get up and support Salah. He's mobile enough to get up and support him because he knows that he's capable of getting back in position if he has to. Wijnaldum, for example, maybe... I don't know, I've, ne- I've never thought Wijnaldum's slow, but he's just got this way about him when he's moving on the pitch, whereby he's a bit... Maybe he's weighing things up as he's moving or something, but he's maybe he's considering tactical aspects that maybe Henderson doesn't yeah. consider. But he, he seems to move... Um, More languid. Yeah, a bit yeah. languid, yeah. Um, I think he's probably not as... Fi- I've, I've, he's physical, Wijnaldum. There's yeah, no denying that. Yeah. I mean, you see him put his, his backside in the way and it's, it's like watching Diddy Haman in his heyday or, you know... Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got, I mean, he's got a phenomenal backside on him, but I, he's I, not as physical as Henderson. He's not as imposing, maybe. I just think he he just comes across as a bit less inclined to get forward, mm. make a forward, make a down and forward run. Maybe that's because he's considering defensive aspects and he's thinking, what if we lose the ball? You know, that could just be, you know, relative to his nature and he might just be a safety first guy. That's that's fine. Could be an instruction. That. But Henderson is inclined to get forward. And if you're inclined to get forward, you're going to drag players away from Sally, who's, I think, been doubled up on a lot this season because of his threat. And just a, a little note here on Sally, he made 40 passes in the fixture on the weekend. Um, that's been bettered. About six times, I think I've just counted six right. These six times, 5-0 against Wofford, 3-0 mm. against Bournemouth, 2-0 against Wolves, 4-0 against Bournemouth, 4-1 against Cardiff, and 1-0 against Huddersfield. So, apart from the Huddersfield one at the end, you know, if, you, if you're getting Mo Salah on the ball, basically, he's influencing matches there. I mean, I don't like using statistics like that as as plainly as what I've just said. Mm. He's not it's not make Salah maybe over forty passes and we're gonna win four 0 yeah. It's not a case of that, but that's an interesting little trend there that, you know, if you're getting arguably your best attacker on the ball more often than not, then it suggests that the opposing team's gonna struggle. And Chelsea did struggle in the second half, you know, as we would say, the Mane goal, the Salah goal. Um, and he, Liverpool just seems to outlast Chelsea. Uh, we, we talked about PPDA, 
passes per defensive action and this is a way of gauging pressing you know we've spoken about it all our other episodes are available in the archives um you know the higher the number the less the team presses because they're engaging uh, they're taking longer to engage in, in a defensive action um I couldn't believe it. In the first half, Chelsea were 13.36. In the second half, when they had to actually sort of score goals, it, it dropped to 19.38, which... So they were pressing less when they were 2-0 down. Is that just a case of Liverpool breaking the spirit almost? I know that's you, you can't really quantify that, but I'm just trying to make sense of these two numbers. I mean, why would Chelsea drop off at 2-0? I think for me, they are the period... Um, around when Hazard was moved to the left. Yes, Higuain came on straight after the Salah goal, I think. Yeah, uh, they caused us problems in that moment. They had two very clear-cut chances for Hazard. And the game for about a five or ten minute period was a bit chaotic, a bit like a pinball match. Mm. Um, and once we, once we kind of got through that and we managed ourselves through it, I did kind of think to myself that should be it, that we shouldn't have to take more because in terms of fitness and stamina and things like that, Chelsea aren't really, you know, at, at the top of the league for, for things like that. We mentioned this last week when when we talked about Sarri's, Sarri's approach to press City at the Etihad with, with the high press and you're doing that with ageing players who aren't particularly mobile. And if you are playing... You know, if you look at Chelsea's team, they're not the most useful, they're not the most physical and things like that. So it's not, it's not in their games of run a lot, really. It's a more possession-based. And when they've got that possession, a lot of it's slow, a lot of it's sideways to to, to entice the opposing team into pressing. So once they did get involved in that pinball match and they didn't score, I did think that they'd kind of tail off after that and... That, that that was how it seemed to play out and they, they, they didn't really have many high quality chances after that from, from the top of my head. Again, one of the intangibles, but you, you do wonder all of that kickoff over Liverpool going to Dubai and you know the, the immediate results weren't great um, on these warm weather training camps. I think you may be seeing now, especially with the late goals, exactly what impact that can have in the last 15 minutes of games and certainly in the, in the last 45. <laughs> Just want to talk about... Uh, the midfield, again for a moment, I know we always come back to this, but uh, you spoke there about that period that Chelsea had. Uh, there's a cracking clip on Twitter, I didn't notice it at the time, um, but it's, it's, it's Naby Keita putting his foot on the ball and just basically telling yeah. everyone to calm down. And I mean, again, talk about intangibles here, you can't, you can't measure that in terms of the importance of a, of a player just saying to everybody, will everybody just chill out for a moment and stop giving the ball to Chelsea? The reason I bring that up is that so it, it, it kind of shows the improvement that we're seeing from him. Um, the, the, the midfield in general, uh, Fabinho, the, he, he had the joint second most tackles he's managed in the league all season before. And he had six dribbles, which is a, a, a league high for him this season. Henderson, he was joint second most interceptions in terms of all the league games he's played with two and joint second dribbles with two. And that was, you know, not playing a full 90. Keita uh, didn't have anything necessarily tangible numbers wise, but again, um, he only played um, just over an hour. And he also had the moments where he tells everyone to calm down. It, it, it just feels like something's clicking there, doesn't it? It feels like at the perfect time, he's he's found the right solution, whether it's by luck, by design, 
we always say it's the last with Jürgen Klopp, but who knows? Yeah, we've we've spoke a lot recently about this whole new midfield and the balance that it's got and you know, the new dy- dynamic that it's providing. A lot of people have voted about it, I've voted about it myself. And it is ideal. I don't, I don't think it'll be in every single match now until the end of the season. I don't think it'll be a case of that. But I think potentially Klopp now has his his big game midfield. Mm. Champions League final midfield. If, if it was a Champions League final, yes or no, does he play that midfield? I don't know. And oh. the reason to say I don't know is because... He loves Wijnaldum, doesn't he? And Milner, he, to be yeah, fair. He does love Wijnaldum. He does love Milner. And Naby, although he's... I don't love him. He he appears to have grasped um, the concept of the system the least uh, in terms of our midfielders and in comparison to Fabinho. Don't get me wrong, he's getting there. He's definitely getting there. And the fact he he, he told everyone to kind of play down that's he's he's arguably the player that I'd least expect. Yeah, to do yeah, that, yeah. For me, he's our most chaotic player mm. or one of them certainly. Uh, I'd like to think he'd play that midfield, and I, I, I do think the midfield would do well. But you know, the only concern is, uh, I do think Naby's slightly more of a um, what's that word? You, you just need to give him a bit more freedom, mm. a bit more, a bit less responsibility yep. when the ball's lost. And in a final, in your midfield, I'm I, I'm not entirely certain Klopp would do that, but I don't know. It's it, it wouldn't be detrimental if he plays uh, but I'm not yet convinced that he would that he would play just yet although he's on a great one I mean the balance is working out something that I've, I've picked out here and, and look this isn't by any means scientific but I just I, I love this new trio on the right I, I love Trent Henderson Salah I, I just feel like it's, it's really starting to, to work um, and you know both goals ultimately come down from that right hand side albeit obviously the, the the second one is just one of those goals but again you say Henderson makes the run um, so it, it allows Salah to open up his body and, and have, the, have the shot um, you know I just want to go over some pass combinations from, from the game um, and this isn't just about the right hand side as I'll explain in a moment but you know Trent passed to Henderson 11 times uh, Salah to Henderson 7 Henderson to Trent 12 Henderson to Salah 8 Salah to Trent eight, and Trent to Salah fourteen. That's sixty passes between that little triangle. Um, sixty passes between them all. But then you look at the left hand side, and you know you look at that, and and it doesn't feel like that's necessarily gelling as much. It's a bit like the right hand side. It's 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 very much still a new one because you've got Kater, which is who's all of a sudden being thrust into this. But Kater to Robbo. 15 passes, Mane to Robbo, 10 passes, Robbo to Keita, 8, Mane to Keita, 5, Keita to Mane, 7, and Robbo to Mane, 12, which I know you're not very good at mental arithmetic, I've got a calculator, 57. So basically, these two little triangles, me wider points, is that the left side, 57 passes, the right side, 60. It feels like for a lot of this season, one side has dominated over the other um, for Liverpool. But this was sort of almost sort of like the perfect symmetry where they can attack you down the right, they can attack you down the left. And the problem is, if you're going to deal with this down the down the, 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 the wings, then there's Fabinho in the middle, there's Firmino in the middle. 
also creating havoc. So it feels like, again, we're talking about balance and striking the right call just the right time. It feels like the symmetry is there now in a team where the left-hand side and the right-hand side is just very, very strong going forward and back. Yeah, I totally agree with everything you just said there. Yeah, I think this is the most balanced we've ever been in terms of threats all over the pitch. And, you know, Klopp's never been very focused on having a specific playmaker. He likes the system to be the playmaker. And if you've got um, patterns and playmakers all over the pitch, you know, Robbo on, on one flank, Trent's on the other, but, but both providing slightly different dynamics. I think Robbo runs in behind a bit more penetrating runs and stuff like that, whereas Trent's more of a crosser. Then you've got Naby, who's a runner, dribble it as well. Henderson, who's more of a penetrative runner without the ball up. So he'll dart beyond you, but just to create this organisation rather than to carry the ball. Um, and you've got, obviously, the unpredictability of the front three and Firmino moving wherever he wants. So it is a highly unpredictable team uh, whilst going towards the whole balance thing either side of the pitch. So... Definitely bodes well for us moving forward, yeah. And yeah, you know, I just wonder, and you know, this it's a, it's a rhetorical question. You just wonder where Fakir would have fitted into all this. Oh God yeah. knows. I mean, you know, you know, you you think about you know they were so close to signing them. They pretty much had signed them. You know, does does it's 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 crazy to think, isn't it? Yeah, I do think you can get to a point though where you can, if you've got such a good base, you can almost just start to add just. Gradual attacking talent, just keep buying attackers mm. almost. City seems to do it. Yeah. I think Bayern went through a period where they done it. Uh, the top teams just seem to stockpile attacking talent. Barcelona, I've got, I remember they signed Malcolm under the, the noses of Roma. Mm. And he's played like, I think he's played less than a thousand minutes, in, certainly in the league. Uh, and we're now at a point whereby we can we can squad build um, just by just adding countless attack and talents and we've now got that base there to do so. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. It's very, very exciting. What also is exciting is the fact that Liverpool, as we're recording this, uh, are flying over to Porto, recording this on a Tuesday afternoon. They'll be playing in the Estadio Dragao um, tomorrow night. Fantastic stadium, fantastic city. I've been there a couple of times, including uh, last season when it absolutely hammered down for two days straight. Lovely sunny Portugal, that's exactly what you want. Um, talk about what goes on on the pitch, though, Josh. Spoke a bit about them last time. We'll uh, you know we'll focus on the second leg a little bit as well now. Will he opt for that four four two? Sorry, that four five five four one again, or will he go back to the four four two? Sergio Conte how that is, of course, not Jürgen Klopp. Yeah, I'm not sure, to be honest. Uh, I had a look at the weekend's fixture. They just won 3 0 again, just a standard win. Let, let, let me guess, was it like Estoril or Pacos Ferreira or Belenese? It just, it's, they always seem to be playing that type yeah, of team. It was a team that began with P, and it was a fairly long way. Like, <laughs> I've, I don't, I'm not aware of the team, if I'm totally honest. But they won 3 0, straight back to 4 4 2. Marega scored. Just a typical standard week for them, I suppose. But this is the problem. When they step up to an opponent that's just on a different level, they struggle to compete regardless of tactics. Uh, tactics can obviously bridge the gap. And Klopp spoke about that in the past. You know, if you get the tactical edge, you can make individual player quality less pleasant, if you like. Uh, but in Porto's case, and as well as considering how tactically good we are, it's it's 
you know, you're climbing up a layer, that's that that's difficult that. They have got Pepe back and they've got Hector Herrera back as well. They're two fairly um, established players there. Herrera's a bit of an all rounder in midfield and you know, we we know all about Pepe yeah. in defence. Keep him away from our attackers, I'll I'll say that. Mm. Uh, but I think we'll just just gotta focus on scoring as early as possible. I think if we score as early as possible, the game dies quite quickly because they've got to score four and they will know they're not going to get four. It's not possible. Well, they've also got to try and get four without shipping again. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Is, is he almost damned if he does, damned if he doesn't here, Conceição? And it's crazy the situation whereby Ian Klopp said after the game, um, you know, they surprised Liverpool a little bit, but, you know, we, we've played each other now and we know what to expect in the second leg. So if he goes for the five four one or the four five one, whichever sort of the five three two, the way he'll set up in that sense, Liverpool will be prepared for it. Um, but if he goes to the four four two, then that's the formation that Liverpool won five nil against in uh, February last year. So it feels like unless Conceição can pull another tactical rabbit out of that hat, he could be in for a bit of a long night. Yeah. Well, the the issue last season was. When they played that four four two and we scored two fairly early goals, maybe even three actually. I think it was three 0 by half. It was half two 0 two 0 by half half an hour. No, no, two 0 half time. I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, five. Yeah, two two first half, three second half. Um, but would would that be in the leg at home? They obviously changed the game. I think he switched to the diamond, which you mentioned last week, and they just collapsed. It was just a, a, a bad naive change, and they were very very open as a result chasing the game. And we picked him off on the break. So I think he'll be wary of that this time. I don't think he'll chase it. I think, if I'm being totally honest, I think if you offered him a nil-nil now, I think he'd take it. Mm. Just to save face. Because uh, I think he knows he's... It, it's To chase a game against Liverpool, there's, there's no worse team in Europe to chase a game against. Because uh, you just get picked up on, off on the break and you've, you've ultimately got to commit players forward to score goals. But if you're doing that and you're leaving holes... And we leave the likes of Sally, uh, Salah and Mane up front. You know, they are going to pick it off and they've got they've got such speed to the extent that you, you can't get back to influence those situations. So I'm I'm expecting just... I mean, I do think it'll be t- tricky in terms of the crowd and things like that. It'll I think be tricky in last season, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think it'll be hostile and it'll be the, it'll be the best version of Porto we've faced. Mm. I'd say that as well. But... You know, with us being in a position where we only need one goal, I just can't see it being m- much of an issue overall. I mean, what where would the issue come from? Where what? I mean, is it just a case of Liverpool not taking the chances and then a couple of set pieces? I, mean, I think Jürgen was was a little bit perturbed about how many set pieces Liverpool gave away, um, and he did defend them well. But I think he was just a little bit. It, 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 does it come down to that in, in the case of you know just don't give away silly set pieces? Make sure if chances do come your way, which they should, that you take them. Yeah. I think a lot of it stems from the first goal. I think, I think if they get the first goal, could get a bit mad. Uh, hopefully that doesn't happen. And that's a piece thing that you've just mentioned there, that you know them getting the first goal probably would stem from a set piece because of how strong they are from them. This is a complete guess, but I, I vaguely remember Klopp mentioning after the first leg that they've scored something like 47% of their goals from set pieces this season mm. or something like that. I'll have to double check that one, but you know, it just further emphasizes how reliant they are on corners and free kicks and things like that. Yeah, but hopefully we won't give many of them away. We've got Robertson back in defence, which bodes well. Uh, 
I think Naby Keita will be left out this time, just for the height thing, you know, the height aspect. Same against Cardiff coming up. I wouldn't be surprised if Keita gets left out of the pairing, just because of the, you know, he's, he's done that earlier in the season against the likes of Watford and Anfield, just to ensure that from set pieces, from corners, you know, we're not vulnerable and we've got a bit of height in there. Um, so would that be Wijnaldum, would that be Milner? I'm not sure, to be honest. Um, depends on how we plan to attack him, I suppose, but I think Naby's our shortest midfielder, isn't he? Yeah. He's probably the weakest area, really. Mm. So, or the, or the, or, you know, Milner and Wijnaldum, I'd say, are roughly the same height as I guess. Perhaps Milner's a bit taller. You probably, you probably would throw Milner in, I think, just because Milner's got that experience. Um, managed the game and he does offer that height, he offers that steel. So, yeah, I wouldn't have a problem with Milner playing in the Champions League. I was providing we, we do support the attack in some way. Well, I was going to say, in terms of Milner, I mean, the importance of Robertson coming back, you mentioned him coming back, was massive because I do think against Porto, you know, Liverpool, I thought they attacked pretty well, lost the way a little bit in the second half. But, you know, it, it, when Milner played left back, it's so easy to, to just shift over, if you're the opposition, to the other side because you know nothing's going to be coming down that left-hand side. It's going to be forever either a ball whipped in from from deep or recycled back into the middle and then moved on to the uh, to the right-hand side to Salah. So, you know, Robertson coming back will be very important for Liverpool. But would you would you maybe consider playing Milner right-back? Um, I think that would depend on who you are playing as the right central midfielder. Mm. I think, say, for example, you're playing Henderson there and you're giving him licence to bomb on like he's been doing, then Milner's... Milner's fine there for me. But if you're playing Wijnaldum and you're playing Milner as your right-back, that then would have problems for me just because of the lack of offensive threat, the lack of inclination to actually get forward from the pairing, lack of mobility, lack of speed. And, you know, we've been talking a lot about that balance. I feel like that balance would be lost mm. if we um, if we had a, a complete right side that consisted of Milner and... Uh, Wijnaldum, I think Salah would be isolated. When he's isolated, he ends up looking terrible. But a lot of the time, it's not his, it's not his fault really. Uh, but yeah, it, it, that would depend on a midfield partner for me. And you mentioned Morega as well, there, Josh. Now Lovren didn't train um, before they flew out to Portugal, so it, it looks like he won't be around anyway uh, for the game. But um, would this would this have been the game to bring Matip back in? I know obviously he played against Chelsea, but. Uh, I thought Marega caused a few problems for Lovren getting in behind. Now, obviously, Lovren had been not first start since the uh, FA Cup defeat to Wolves in early January, so he's bound to be a little bit rusty. But you know, with Matip, is he better equipped maybe to deal with Marega? Um, when you say he's better equipped, I think he's I think he's better equipped in in the sense of he's got that momentum in his game. He's you know, he's been playing consistently. He's used to dealing with opponents. He's in the rhythm, isn't he? He's in the rhythm, yeah. yeah. I think he's taller as well, so he's better from set pieces and stuff like that. Although Lovren is good. Yeah, really though. But yeah, I think to throw Lovren in against, you know, an, an obviously informed version of Monega, who did turn up at Anfield, fair play to him. It was a, it was a difficult game to throw him into because I think when a centre-back's coming back after that long, you'd like to throw him in in a game whereby you're not going to have to deal with much. Say, for example, Cardiff coming up. But to throw him in the Champions League, as I said at the time, was a bit strange, but I think it was because of Matip's knock, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, 
but yeah, if if Matsup can can handle the games, which I'm assuming he can, then I'd have I'd I'd have no doubt about throwing him straight back in, yeah. And then on to Cardiff, when you get to the stage of the season, you know, it, it always, I always think back to maybe the treble winner season of 2001 and when, you know, Liverpool one day would be going to Coventry and then the next they'd be preparing to play against Barcelona and then the week later they're playing Wickham in the FA. You've got to play so many different types of teams in such a sport, short space of time. It, this reminds me a little bit of the, uh, was it the Bayern, Burnley, um, who else did they play? Maybe Everton or Manchester United? I think it was Everton. Everton, uh, Burnley, and, and and Bayern maybe in uh, in short uh, short succession. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. It, you know, it's it's three different teams, three completely sorts of different problems. And you know, you come up against Cardiff, a Neil Warnock side. We know what we're getting out of Neil Warnock. We know what we're getting out of Cardiff, don't we, Josh? We do. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just going to be direct football, isn't it? It's going to be trying to make use of whatever you get. Trying to attack the channels, similar to Sam Allardyce when he came. To be honest, a lot of focus on set pieces, which is again why I said Naby might not play. Uh, but then there's an argument for him playing because you're going to have so much of the ball and there's going to be such an emphasis on you to create that you need those those players that'll take a risk and Naby's certainly one of them. But uh, it's, it's almost one of them games where you don't really have to impose a specific tactical adjustment and be all cute with it and things. You just have to almost play your own game do your basics of, of your system well. And just because of the, the vast difference in individual player quality and how much attacking we should be doing on the day, we should just find a way through it. I, I can't see there being any specifics there to, you know, to analyse or anything specific like that. I think it's just a case of, as I said, playing our own game. And, you know, I watch Spurs on a weekend against Huddersfield, a team of complete... Rotated players too. Walker Peters played. Foyth played. And what was it? 4 0, was it? 4 0, yeah. It was just awful. It was it was such a difference. And that, that was because one team is considerably below the other regarding uh, player quality. And the team that's better regarding players is also heavily ingrained in a specific system that those players have learned over years. So that's just a case of. Uh, just doing what you doing what you know, and I think we'll we'll come out on top fairly easily. I mean, the old Liverpool will be worried, but you know, as you say, it's about this side is so ingrained into the club system now. It, the, 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 it feels like it's you you use the word mature at the start of the podcast. It feels like this new mature Liverpool should have absolutely far too much for for any kind of side, really. Yeah, in the past, this would be a match that would maybe maybe concern us, but. Not this season. It just feels different. And uh, you feel like you can rely on this team. You feel like you can you can depend on this defence. And just you know another little thing that captures how bad Cardiff are individually. They're the biggest underperformers in the league in front of goal. Mm. So their xG predicts a certain number, and they've actually scored seven and a half under that number, which is as I said more than any other team. So. That either suggests an element or a heavy elements of bad luck or just bad finishing and or a mixture of both. But knowing Cardiff's team, the quality that they're dealing with, it probably is a case of just, you know, they're not that good. Simple mm. as that. The players that are taking these shots aren't that great. 
die haben ganz spezifisch äh, finnischen Qualitäten, die dann you know, spezifisch noch so finnischen Malte von Angles und Dinge, die just take very basic shots a lot of them don't go in bad luxury. So in terms of any potential team changes, I mean, what would you be looking at? Is this the is this the sort of game where you can rest or does it depend on the Porto game? There'll still be five days between this and, and the Huddersfield game. So is it just strongest possible team in terms of whatever suits the system? Because you say maybe we might see Naby, but you, know, so, you wouldn't think about resting any of the front three, for example. I don't think I'd rest any of the front three now, but would this be a case of Cardiff, then a week three? Then Huddersfield and then Barcelona that week. Yes. If we get Barcelona. Yeah, or, or Manchester United. Yeah, sorry. And if Liverpool uh, get through. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we, we, we would have a free week following this? Yes, it would be. Yeah, so it's basically Sunday, is Easter Sunday card of the Friday night is Huddersfield. Yeah, right. Well, I, I can't over, I don't really see a need to to rest anyone, really. You'd rest against Huddersfield, wouldn't you, I suppose? Yeah, yeah. That's if you had to, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's different. But I think against Cardiff. Especially considering who City have got that weekend, um, potential, you know, points up there. We have to, we have to keep winning ultimately. And although it looks like a worse opponent, you don't want to show them that disrespect and give them a motive to basically try. Uh, so unless there's players with certain knocks, players that need those breaks, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rest anyone unless it was enforced. You mentioned Man City there, then Josh, we'll, uh, we'll wrap up the podcast just talking about them. I know this is Anfield, uh, analysing Anfield and not, uh, I don't know what you could call it, exploring the Etihad. But, <laughs> um, you know, is, are they going to drop points? I mean, you know, watching that Crystal Palace game was, it, it, watching them all season has been torture, just to be honest. It feels like from the first game, Liverpool being in a title race with these and it certainly felt from, I don't know, maybe October onwards that it was just going to be a case of these two going all the way between each other. Are they going to drop points and how are they going to do it? Where are they going to do it? Should we be annoyed at Roy Hodgson because Crystal Palace couldn't, you know, manage to strike lightning twice? You know, where are you, where are you coming from with City at the moment? It's just a difficult one with City, it really is. Uh, they're just on a completely different level to everyone, really. Uh, we're, the, we're obviously the closest there, but even us, really, if you look at the underlying performance and things like that, they should be, they, they should be a gap there, mm. and there isn't. Uh, so I think when you're looking at the likes of Crystal Palace going into matches with them, you have to put into perspective um, what Palace are actually up against here. And seeing a lot of people on my feed on, on Twitter on, on the day, just having a go at Palace and having a go at Hodgson and things like that, but there's not a lot you can do. Ultimately, there's, there's not a lot you can do against this team and obviously you can get up in the face and you can press them. But Palace aren't a pressing team. A lot of teams in the league aren't pressing teams. So if you then ask them to press, they're probably going to do it badly or, you know, with holes here and there. City will absolutely exploit those holes with no second invitation. Before you know it, you're a goal down, then you're two down, then you're three down, your side's knackered and you end up six down. So, I think from, from Palace's perspective and a lot of weaker teams, it's about setting up a certain defensive strategy that either involves a midfield five or a defensive five just to cover 
you know, the, the channels that Sterling and Sane like to occupy. Well, they score that, that goal so many times, don't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. Then you've got the inside spaces that the likes of De Bruyne and Silva like to occupy. Then you've got Aguero up front. So you have to occupy these spaces to nullify them. Problem is, most teams focus too much on nullifying those spaces and either forget to attack or are too scared to attack. Bournemouth being one of those a couple of weeks ago, they failed to have a single shot. Not even, I don't even mean on target, they had a, not a single shot. And that was because they were so focused on stopping them that they forget to attack. That's where the problem comes for me. If you're doing this, if you're using this defensive strategy, allowing City the ball, I've got no real issue with that that much, as long as you offer some kind of goal for it yourself. I think Palace were trying to do that, but their failure to get up the pitch stems from. Uh, I think the likes of Zaha and that were, were off on the day a bit. Um, I think Palace's counter attacking was slightly off. But it also stems massively from how good City were without the ball. You could tell it's been heavily drilled by by Pep before the game. Whenever this ball is lost, this team's ultimate threat is counter-attacking. You have to win that ball back. And whenever they did win the ball, eh, whenever they did lose the ball, sorry, City, you would get the likes of Sterling and De Bruyne and Silva, who were luxury players, but you'd get them working for that 10 seconds to regain that ball. And the fires put out immediately. So it's 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 difficult, but Palace do have the makings of a team that can cause City problems. Those makings being, you know, players that can cope in isolation, players that are fast, uh, players that are well drilled in a system that is narrow and a tactically astute manager. And now a lot of people probably turn noses up at that because it's Voyardson, but believe it or not, he's tactically he's quite good. Good. Feels like this is a separate episode in the summer, you know. We, we, we'll yeah, have to do a Q&A on Roy Hodgson yeah. if, if you're saying that. I know. I can't wait for your Twitter feed when this goes out. <laughs> no, but in terms of strict, strict coaching, he hasn't got the personality aspect to it mm. as much, but strict coaching and getting the team drilled, he's not bad. Uh, and obviously the, the win at the Etihad, everything worked out perfectly for them. They, they managed to, to instigate those counters. They scored from 30 yards. He scored a penalty. These are things that have to go for you. And recently at Sellers Park, he didn't. Um, but those those tricks that you've got to have, City, Spurs and, and United have. They've got speed. Tactically astute, astute managers, uh, to an extent, in Solskjaer's case. Uh, you know, they'll obviously have some kind of goal threat at all times. Uh and you just got to hope that they get something. You just got to hope that they uh, find a way. But it's just really frustrating from a Liverpool fan perspective because you're fighting against a team that's so dominant, absolute control freaks. They just represent their manager fully. Pep's a control freak, perfectionist, and so is City. And if you try to wrestle control from them with a bit of chaos, which is what we do, they absolutely hate it. Not enough teams have the makeup to do that. Spurs do. United do. So, you know, hopefully we'll see something there. Brendan Rodgers? Possibly, but Rodgers' uh, Roger, performance with Celtic in Europe um, doesn't fill him with a great deal of hope. Mm. 
you're very good when he's he's the dominant one yeah yeah but when he's um adopting the inferior role it's not as good this having said that he's now got better players in transition than he did at Celtic he's got the likes of Madison especially Vardy as well dangerous player Tillemans can find a pass the Marty Gray is obviously quick and Harvey Barnes can run as well so he's he's got the makeup there without doubt similar to Palace they've got the makeup there they've got the speed they've got the goal threat they've got the tactically astute manager it's just whether they can uh, they can execute that plan perfectly and obviously you've got to hope that City are relatively off on the day as well but there's potential there for them to slip up it's just so many things have got to go right for that to happen and it's uh, it's just you know unrealistic to an extent we we remain in hope I, I I don't know I I I wonder if something has to give if, if Liverpool and Man City win both all of their games for the remainder of the season you've got a team there at Liverpool you've got nine straight to finish the season and what how many games on about 17 18 unbeaten to end the season whereas Man City would have won 14 on the spin to win the, the Premier League um yeah. And of course, fact fans, if you remember, that's the number that Liverpool needed to win in 2013-14 um, if they wanted to win the league and it all fell down on game 12. So, uh, what's that, Burnley? Burnley away, that might be the one. I mean, they have got a, a good run of tough fixtures there. But this is what Liverpool will be waiting for and this is where Klopp needs commending. He's he's, he's played it to a T, really. He needs commending. Yeah, he has, yeah, you know, he he, this is it now. He has, he's absolutely asking questions. He's got into a position whereby, okay, we do against Leicester. Okay, we do against, who was it in the same week? West Ham. But we are ultimately right there. And I mentioned back then that if we'd have went for it and lost, City can get away with a draw. They can't now. We're in the running. I think we've got four games left, have we? We've got four. They've got five. Yeah. They have to win all five. I think we'll win all of ours. So, they now know that they have to win all five, and that includes away trips to Old Trafford, away trips to Turf Moor. Uh, you've got Leicester at home, that's tricky, and you've got Spurs at home. So if they if they do go on and win all, all of their matches, then, you know, fair play. You, yeah. can't, you can't really argue with that. That's 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 title winning. Um, the performance is really, like, you can't really argue with it, but hopefully they don't. <laughs> hopefully they, something happens. We just need... An element of chaos to instigate somewhere, just to something that'll test them. Because apart from a five-minute period at Palace, it was slow in the park, really, and I've had too many of them lately. Bring on the chaos! Bring on somebody like Dwight Gale. Um, that would be lovely. Thank you very much this week, Josh. We'll be back next week. Hopefully, Liverpool will have their feet in the Champions League semi-final, and hopefully against Barcelona because. I'm sure we'll get to analyse this at some point, but we, you know, I'm sure United would be easier, but we don't want Manchester United, especially when people have booked flights to Barcelona already. Um, so thank you very much, <laughs> Josh. Yeah, 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 just about. Thanks very much for joining us, Josh. Uh, thank you, dear listener, for, for joining us as well. As always, really appreciate all the feedback and the time you dedicate to listening to us. Uh, you know, the, the, the numbers and the figures and, and the and the, the comments that we get are, are really very much appreciated. We're very surprised how popular this has proven already. Um, tell your friends um, and and keep on saying nice things about us. It's, it, it is very much appreciated. So uh, thank you, Josh. Uh, I've been Christian Walsh. Fingers crossed Liverpool are still in the Champions League, still in the title race come this time next week. Got everything crossed. Have a good weekend. Bye for now. 
listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.